into sports. 20 yards out, Urshan shoot, don't shoot! Oh, what a goal from Fabinho! Wow! Then get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No, Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do you do? You get a slap. Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Shame that will care if you've got all the fans down. Can we not knock it? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladici, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. Well, I answer questions on anything uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you, disgrace! I suggest you shut up and show more football. Hi there, welcome along to Team 33 and a call here with you for the next hour or so. There was a huge reaction to the podcast last week with Tim Vickery talking about South American football so I thought why not continue on that route of South American football. If you want to catch back that Tim Vickery episode or you missed it, he was essentially chatting about the decline of South American football on the world stage. Why aren't Brazil and Argentina really competing with the European sides on the world stage anymore? But more interesting than that, why are the former Brazilian internationals that we love, Ronaldinho, Rivaldo, all these great players of the 02-06 era, why are they backing the right wing? And that's a really interesting conversation. You can get that in the OTB podcast network or you can get it on YouTube as well youtube.com forward slash off the ball as I said we are chatting about South American football this time again because there is a new book out it's called Tears of La Bonera and it is about the journey of Christopher Highland as he travelled through South America into Brazil and Buenos Aires as well travelling around ground hopping in all of the stadiums in South America so I'm delighted to say that Christopher Highland joins me on the line now as well. Christopher, thanks very much for joining me today. I hope I didn't murder the name of your book too badly there. Cheers at La Bombonera. It sounded fine to me. So tell us a little about yourself then. Where did this book come about? When did you move to South America or even just before that? Growing up, are you? did you grow up in England? Where did you grow up? I grew up in the UK. Uh, I'm, half, I'm half Norwegian, so I was born in Norway. I live in Norway now in Oslo. Uh, but I grew up in the UK. My mum is from North London and I grew up in West Sussex, just outside Brighton. So uh, the accent gives it away, but I do tend to say that I'm Norwegian. Okay. And... For no specific reason why, but <laughs> I feel at home here, let's just say. Is it, so it's your father that's Norwegian then, is it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So yeah. in terms of your background then, big football fan... I presume growing up in England, it would have been fairly much standard English uh, going to the game on a on a Saturday. Yeah, not so much going to the games. I grew up. Uh, I grew up. Well, I mean, my parents didn't push me into football. My my father didn't like football. Didn't really like sport at all. My mum used to go to Highbury in the sixties and and uh, well, she moved to Norway in nineteen seventy. So fifties and sixties, my mum went to Highbury. Um, but it wasn't until we started playing football. You know, we were thrown out the house and told to go and play in the street uh probably like a lot of kids anywhere in the world and football was 
the thing that we would do, climbing trees, a bit of cricket, but mostly football. And 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 that's that's how it came about. Um, from the age of eight or nine or ten. The first game at Arsenal, I'm an Arsenal fan. The first game at Highbury was when I was ten. So I was probably a little bit later to the the game uh, compared to most people, but um, certainly helped growing up in the UK. I, I don't know how it would have how it would have developed here in Norway had I grown up here in Norway. But of course, football is very popular here too, so it probably mm. would have happened here too. Without going off on too much of a tangent, Highbury, I was just watching old games and it's such a beautiful stadium to watch football at in comparison to the, the Emirates Stadium. Yeah, modern football, the scourge of modern football, which is... Uh, by all means, uh, golf and tangents, but I'm take it back to Argentina. Part of the reason people love football in Argentina is because it almost feels like a throwback to old English football. Um, but when Highbury, we took it for granted, of course. I was 2006, we moved to the Emirates, so I would have been 2021 20, going to university. So uh, I didn't actually go to it, I went to a lot of games between '96 and 2001, and then just like in Nick Hornby's fever pitch. There's a period where you, you you reach your late teens and football all of a sudden the girls, you go to university, you live in a different city, of course. Um, so I missed a few years and I missed the best years of hybrid, of course, the Invincibles. Um, I, was, I was living in Norway when I was 18. So I missed a lot of the, um, the most important moments of the last years of hybrid. And then, of course, uh, Emirates was interesting. At the time, it was... Uh, I don't want to go stay on the tangent too long, but um, when we committed, when Arsenal committed to building the Emirates, there were, it was a fairly sound financial decision. Chelsea didn't exist in their current guys. Manchester City didn't exist in their current guys. Um, but it's 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 uh, it's held us back big time. Mm. Yeah, listen. 96 to 01, still not a bad bad period to be following Arsenal in uh, in Highbury. Um, that, obviously, that would have been the period where United were going up against them head to head, and I pro- I was I was too young to really appreciate that rivalry, so I would have uh, I, I bitten off your arm to visit Highbury in that period. So, in terms of your journey to Buenos Aires, where you first land, what brought that about? What brought about the move to South America? Um, I'd been backpacking in 2009 at the end of university, a friend and a friend from school and I went to, we only went to Brazil and Argentina. I think the more common kind of backpacking gringo trail, as they called it, trip in South America is, uh, all, essentially Colombia down to Argentina. Um, we spent two months in Brazil and, and Argentina, but I fell I don't know. I fell in love with Buenos Aires for some reason. I can't, I could never put my finger on it at the time, obviously having lived there now for, uh, during the four years that I lived there, at least I could put my, I could definitely put my finger on what it is. But back then, I just didn't. I came back with a feeling of Buenos Aires is just a, an amazing city. Spent a week there, no more. Went to a few games back then as well. Um, but I moved home, moved back to Oslo. I was, I was living in Norway at the time, and uh, got into a relationship, nine to five, the regular working, you know, the, the, a normal life, and. Um, tried to convince my girlfriend at the time to to move to Argentina for six months or a year just to I wanted to learn Spanish I wanted to just give it a more than a week let's say and um she wasn't keen 
that relationship ended not because of that, but it ended. And I just thought, well, I'm 28. I have to go. If I'm going to do it, I have to do it now. And a year became two, two became six, essentially. And I came back in May 2019. So I've been back nearly two years already, in fact. But um, it was, let's say, a life-defining moment, uh, time of my life. In terms of the day-to-day life, what would be the key differences to living in South America, to living in um, Norway and general Central Europe? South America is too broad, I think, to, uh, if we stick to Argentina, at least initially, because mm-hmm. I did. I spent nine months in Colombia, I spent nine months in Peru. A lot of that was traveling, so not really based anywhere um, and, and therefore not really meeting people on at least getting to know people as well as I got to be, uh, as well as I got to know people in Argentina. Um, the thing that you notice immediately with Argentina is that everything happens much later. Um, dinner, obviously eight restaurants don't open until eight. Most people eat at maybe 10 o'clock. Um, so in terms of, in terms of setting up, well, I was working in an English, I was working as an English teacher. That's the, the cliche job. You could say the, the typical job of, of a foreigner going to South America, an English speaker, let's say, going to South America, because what, what do you have to offer until you speak the language? Um, I was working as an English teacher in a in a in an institute, so the I was working evenings anyway. So dinner was late for me because of because of work. But you notice that the my students were often. Um, if they weren't going to university, university often happens in the evening as well. So everything is kind of just pushed into the the end of the day. Um, and I don't think they I don't think they go to bed until one or two o'clock, and they wake up the next day at eight. So that's the, uh, here in Norway. You we have dinner at four o'clock in the afternoon. Some well, traditionally at least, dinners at four o'clock, and then you have uh, we have we call it kvelsmat, means like evening food, like a sandwich or something at ten o'clock in the evening. In Argentina, they have that at four o'clock. They have a little croissant or a media luna, something like from the panaderia, something sweet, buttery, um, at four o'clock, and they have their main meal at 10. And uh, it plays havoc with your digestion system and your sleep, but I guess if you're used to it, if you've grown up with it, then, that's, then you're used to it. Yeah, and so it, it sounds very much like a Spanish influence and very much still alive and well in Argentina. Exactly, in Argentina. But if you compare it then to Peru and Colombia, they tend to have their, their biggest meal at lunchtime. Okay. So the restaurants tend to be open for, lu- for lunch. And in the evening, those same places, you, you might go out in the evening to, to find somewhere to go for dinner. And the same places that you saw were open for lunch would be close. So it's, it's very much an Argentinian thing. And, and yeah, from Spain or Italy, I'm not so sure on how they do in Italy, but it's, they, they say that 80% of Argentinians have Spanish and or Italian heritage. So let's talk about football then. Proportion. Let's mm. talk about the football then and the the book because that's what the book is based on. Um, what was the first match in South America you attended? Do you remember? I was back on the in the back backpacking on the backpacking trip in two thousand and nine. Uh, News Old Boys against River Plate, and uh, News Old Boys are very. Uh, in uh, in fashion might not be the right word, but there's a lot of focus on youth old boys at the moment because of the Bielsa Leeds 
uh, romance. Let's say a lot of Leeds fans have have taken Newell's old boys on as their second team, it seems. And obviously the Messi thing. But in 2009, um, I knew nothing about Newell's old boys. There was a, an intrigue as to why they had an English name. But that's not an uncommon thing in Argentina. There are lots of places with, at least on paper, English-sounding names. They they butcher they butcher the our pronunciation. You would say Hullingham, Tempale, <laughs> and uh, Newells. Um, but it's a good place to start. Rosario is a, a fascinating city for football because there's two big teams, as opposed to Buenos Aires, where there are. You know, you have half of the Primera División, half of the Argentinian first or top tier play in Buenos Aires, and half of the second tier are also based in the city of Buenos Aires. So there's there's uh, there's no lack of of football there. Mm-hmm. But in Rosario, you have two major teams, and um, the street, the curbs are painted either black and red for Newell's Old Boys, or they're painted yellow and blue for Rosario Central. They're very much a city of, of two teams and, and they go to war when they when they play. So that was the that was the first game. In terms of then your general match day, obviously in England you have the usual you get up, you go maybe have a an English breakfast, go to the pub and you're in the in the stadium by half two or maybe just leaning up to kick off. What is the general day-to-day thing when you're getting ready for an Argentinian league match? I, I say, unfortunately, there's, unfortunately, there's not really the same pub culture in Argentina, but maybe that's not a bad thing. I don't know. There are Irish pubs. There are English pubs. Um, but not to go off on a tangent, but the idea of going to the pub to watch a big football match, a Boca River game, for example, um, you go you find somewhere to watch it and... The Argentinians tend to uh, watch the games at home with their family. Interestingly, so in terms of in terms of a pre-match build-up or or for for a regular Argentinian football fan, um, that tends to happen on the street. They buy they buy cans of beer or stronger things, let's say, from the supermarket, and they just stand around in the street corner with um, with their cocktails. The, the classic, and I tried to describe this in the book, but it's difficult to describe. You need to see a picture of it nearly. Uh, they buy a two-litre bottle of Coke, for example, cut the top off so it becomes uh, an open vessel, pour out or drink half of the Coca-Cola and, and fill it up with ice cubes and fernets. Fernets or fernets uh, is the the number one drink over there. And, uh, and you'll just see people holding... One hand underneath, one hand on the sides, passing around a two-litre concoction. I say concoction. It's simply Coca-Cola and Fernet, or it could be any any soft drink with any... It could be wine and Fanta. I mean, it doesn't sound nice, but it's quite a common one. Mm. And they'll stand around on the street corner for hours just drinking this. Um, strong smell of weed in the air. I dare say some people probably take other things, stronger things that... There's a similarity there with British football culture as well, I guess. Um, but take take what we would call the pub experience and take it out onto the street, and uh, and that's how they that's how they experience it. I'm I'm talking about let's say people between twenty and thirty who go to the games with their mates. There is the element of, and that's a huge element of the the Argentinian football public are 
fathers and mothers with their children. Okay. And whereas we would say fathers and sons, over there it's fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. Sometimes it's mother and daughter go to the game. Right. And there's no so over there it's um it's for every it's such a terrible cliche. It sounds sounds like a stupid thing to say. It is for everyone. You see a lot more um girls and, and women at football in Argentina than you would do, for example, in Peru or Colombia. So if everyone's out in the street, then that must lead to a fairly good buzz going around the town on match day. I guess it all depends on what your expectations are. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, there's nothing There's nothing better than seeing people milling around. I mean, you can go to, you can have that same atmosphere in, in closed four walls, but why not have like a, what's the best way of saying it? Um, apropos stumbling i can't think of the word but to have um to have everyone it's almost essentially a microcosm of the stadium but a bigger microcosm of what you would have in in 20 pubs around the ground for example mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah it makes perfect sense um it sounds like an enjoyable way it almost reminds me of i don't know if you've come across gaelic football and uh, the irish mm. sport so in, uh, during the summer there are so many people that don't have match day tickets, but arrive anyway. And in the beer gardens outside of the year, as you get closer, there's more and more people out in the streets and just gathering for the sake gathering and just having, having a bit of crack. And in terms of the games themselves, then you mean crack with an eye. Yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yes. That's a word I learned in, in an Irish pub in Colombia. In fact, cause it's written all over the world. I, I've never seen it written down before. No, it's written, it, um, loads of, uh, motivational kind of GAA or Gaelic football uh, phrases on the, on the wall of this pub in Bogota. I've never <laughs> seen it written down before. It's um, it's, it doesn't look right, but it is absolutely key to people understanding what you're talking about. Well, you have the crack, uh, which is kind. I think you, with social media, with Instagram and Twitter, with football being so popular on, on both those, both of those apps or platforms, whatever you want to call them, um, the South Americans use the word "crack" as like a superstar player. Have right. you seen? Have you come across that? No. No. Okay, but that's spelled with a CK. Um, anyway, <laughs> in terms of the quality of games, and are there are there many players that are, who are considered cracks? Is it a great quality? Is it South American style, or is it a bit uh, disappointing in terms of the quality? The quality is poor, but um, but then you can go to a Premier League match and you, there's no guarantee that you're going to see a good game. Fulham, Burnley. Uh, the only reason I picked that one out is because I heard a stat recently that the game was in play a couple of years ago. The game was in play for 42 minutes and you're paying a lot of money to go to those, maybe not Fulham, Burnley. But um, So there, there is no guarantee of, of good quality football. Um, but you mentioned South American style or Argentinian style. What you what you unfortunately get, and and this is true of Norway as well. Living in Norway, you see a lot of the young, the best players leave before they're eighteen. For example, so Martin Erdegaard is a good example. Went to Real Madrid at sixteen. Haaland went to Salzburg. Uh, who did he get? Which Salzburg? He went to Red Bull Salzburg. Yeah. Is that not the word? Yeah, it is. Yeah. The, um, at the age of seventeen, I believe. 
And much like in Argentina, Sergio Aguero played at the age of 15 and left, I think, at 17. Maybe he was 19. But the talent leave, the best, best players leave very early. So Messi being the prime example, they've never seen him play on an Argentinian football pitch. Um, and you get then the big stars that have gone abroad come back when they're in their mid-30s. Um, and there's no... there's there's a lot of experience, um, a lot of quality, but maybe not the same quality as they showed on on the pitches of, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Tevez. Tevez has been excellent since he came back to Boca. But uh, Colocini, the Newcastle player, went back to San Lorenzo. Um, it's a shame Argentinians don't get a chance to see their, their best stars when they're in their prime, like they used to in the 60s, 70s, I guess into the 80s. Uh, so the quality is poor, but if you're lucky, you get two equal teams, much like you would in the in the English eighth or ninth tier. That a lot of people start going to their local teams. Um, a, fr- a good friend of mine who I go to the Arsenal games with, you know, he lives in West Sussex, and um, his local team, Burgess Hill, is in I think it's the eighth tier of English football. You're not expecting a good quality football match, but if you get two teams that are equal standard, you could get a good game. But there's, I guess there's less chance in Argentina. What you do get, um, you get a lot of these individual raids, is the word they use here in Norway. I don't know if that's caught on anywhere else, but a player picking up the ball and just running essentially in a direct line towards a goal. They'll lose the ball, turn around and chase the ball back. You get a lot of this kind of, not, not a lot of teamwork. You get a lot of individual forays forward, I guess we would say. We will take a quick break, Christopher, and we'll come back with some more of your journey through South America. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Now, welcome back to Team 33. So we are chatting South American football again this week on the podcast because Christopher Highland has joined me on the line to talk about his new book, Tears of La Bonera, as he journeyed through South America. So we touched on the games from Boca to the Internacional to the other sides as well that are playing in South America. But we did touch on something that was quite interesting about going to lower league games. Was it all big games that you went to when you were in South America or did you visit some of the lower leagues as well? Uh, a bit of everything. The, clearly the the glamour, the idea, of, I use the word ticking off. It's a horrible, if you want to talk about ground hopping, ticking off stadiums. Um you, you want to obviously go to the biggest games and you want to go to the biggest grounds. Racing against Independiente, Racing's ground is a, is a gorgeous, it's called El Cilindro. Uh, it's completely round, built for the, I think it was renovated for the 1978 World Cup. So there's a lot more glamour in going to these games, a lot more life on the streets beforehand as well. But there, there are so many grounds there. You have... Um, like I say, you have 10 to 12 teams in the Primera, 10 to 12 teams in the Segunda. So just in the top two tiers, you have 25 teams in Buenos Aires alone. There's no shortage of football to go to. And um, and I see on online regularly these maps of Buenos Aires are shared of, of just how many teams there are. When I count how many I went to, I went to less than half. So that I, I do have a lot of regrets because you're you're there, you take it a little bit for granted. There's a day maybe where you've seen a game, um, and you want to go to it, but nobody else can go, and you, you think, oh, going on your own is a bit of a, 
you know, it's a new neighborhood. You don't know if it's a hundred percent safe. You, mm-hmm. um, so I, I went to of the, of the 40 or so grounds in Buenos Aires, there are more, but a 40 or so plus 45, let's say grounds in Buenos Aires. I went to about 20. So, um, I went to, I went to a lot of smaller teams and they have their charm as well, of course. Yeah. And what's the atmosphere like in the grounds? Because I think everyone sees the videos of say, uh, a river plate game or a big rivalry in Argentina or Brazil. And they think it's absolutely crazy. Is every game a bit like that or is it just the bigger games that, I, I, I mean, again, the romanticism of Argentinian football and, and the videos that you speak about—they're—they're not—they're not, they're not um, inaccurate in any way. They, that is how you—you you can expect to experience the game. However, a big derby match—it's um, more important not to lose than it is to win. That so you, you may have heard stories of the Barabraba, their version of well, it's not—it's not the same as hooligans. It's more of a mafia type thing. Um, but you know they, as they do in Italy, may well visit the team beforehand and and make it very clear that it's it's not losing is not an option. So derby matches in particular are incredibly tense affairs, and you can expect them to end nil nil. Unfortunately, there's a, there are a lot of uh, there was one weekend in particular, 2016. I went to see uh, Racing Club against Independiente. So there's five big teams in Argentina: Boca River, of course. Racing Independiente, whose stadiums are 300 meters from one another, and San Lorenzo, uh, they're the, the big five. Went to see Racing Independiente. And the way the, the league season had been set up, they'd put aside one weekend for all the derby matches. So Boca would play River, Racing would play Independiente, San Lorenzo would play against Huracan, etc. cetera. Uh, Rosario Central against Newells. So all the derby matches fell on the same weekend. Of those derby matches, I think more than half finished nil-nil. And until there's a goal, until there's a red card, until there's a, let's say, a shocking piece of refereeing, they're massively into conspiracy theories in Argentina. So the first time the referee gives a, a dubious decision, you know, the crowd will then get lifted. But it's a goal that gets people out of their seats, mm-hmm. literally, but also metaphorically gets them off their, off their hands. Um, but that said... The reception of the players, what they call the reception, el recibimiento, is is definitely worth going for. You could even leave the stadium after that's happened because if you, there's every chance you're going to see a nil-nil. But um, the players coming out onto the pitch, that's when they really, you know, the ticker tape that still exists. People of an older generation um, speak about the ticker tape, seeing, seeing the ticker tape at the 1978 World Cup for the first time. And have that as a kind of image of Argentinian football, but that's um, that's exactly what it is. You you have a, I say a bag. You have thousands of plastic bags being um, around the stadium, being sent up the terrace or the or the stands, uh, and you're encouraged to take a handful of the ticker tape. It's just paper that newspaper they've th- uh, shredded themselves. Grab a handful. You wait for the kickoff and you throw it. Um, and fireworks, everything. So the reception, that is definitely worth seeing. Mm-hmm. And then you're lucky if you get a good game, of course. If you're, you're lucky if you get goals. And then once once the first goal has gone in, people are a little bit freer or 
let's say the ice had been broken for them to really get behind their team. Yeah. But there's no guarantee, unfortunately. There were some really violent scenes when Boca played River in last year's Copa Libertadores. Is 2018. It... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Two. sorry. A couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Is it always that violent or is that a stereotype? Yeah, it's a stereotype. Um, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There is a lot of violence in Argentine football. I, I was lucky. I, I spent six years in South America living permanently, let's say, and, and traveling before that as well. So six years, I experienced no violence. I, I didn't get robbed. Nothing, you know, I was lucky because I've heard, I have heard a lot of tourists, expats, whatever you want to call us, gringos, uh, experiencing that side of it. I've only ever been mugged in London. So cities are dangerous places, I think you could say. Um, but they have banned away fans in Argentinian football since 2012. And that's part of the solution. Because again, if you have, if you have 24 teams in the top two tiers playing in Buenos Aires every weekend, half of them are playing at home. So you're talking about 15 games that the, the police have to police in the top two tiers. And then you have the third and the fourth tier, you add another 15 games. So 15 games, 30, let's say, uh, I'm getting a bit mixed up, but let's say 25 big games in uh, in the capital every weekend. You, you, you can't expect the police to police that. You couldn't expect police in our countries, maybe. That's a, a bit of a condescending way of saying it, but um, to police that number of games. And you have the added complication that the Varabrava fight amongst themselves. So you don't necessarily expect Boca and River to be uh, Boca River Barra to be fighting each other. They might be fighting within their own group to right. try and gain control. The different factions within the Barabrava. Um, so it definitely exists. What happened in 2018 was, um, you could say it's retribution for what happened in 2015. 2015, Boca played River in the quarterfinal or the last 16 of the Copa Libertadores. And um, the baker, is uh, he's known now, uh, cut the fence at La Bombonera, cut the tubing. There's an inflatable tunnel for the players coming through. Cut that and he pepper sprayed the River players. Um got five of them there were five players stood they're coming up for the second half so the first half ended nil-nil in the second leg uh, first half ended nil-nil they're coming out five players are on the pitch and they can't see because they've been pepper sprayed directly in the eyes um, that game was called off River Plate were handed the tie went on to win I think if I'm not mistaken went on to win the whole tournament and um, and that was kind of hanging in the air so the 2018 event you could say was was retribution for what happened before but it was also exceptionally bad planning on the part of the authorities taking the Boca Juniors bus right down the main avenida um Libertadores same name as the competition but we were there I was there with a, a Scottish friend of mine we went to all four there were four games of course because the first game at La Bombonera was rained off so we went back on the Sunday we were outside we didn't have tickets we just went down to see the the atmosphere and find a, a pub having spoken about the lack of pub uh, culture there um, restaurants let's say cafes that sell litre bottles of beer and um, we went down to River two weeks later 
Edmond Lamental and we were we would stay we were stood on that street corner half an hour before it happened. We had to go and find somewhere to watch the game. We didn't have tickets, of course. Went find some uh, find somewhere to watch the game. And as we arrived at the at a pub many many blocks down, uh, we got news of the the bus attack. So it was uh, it was daft, basically stupidity to to get them to drive down through the throng of river fans who had been there for hours drinking and as I say they sell litre bottles of beer <laughs> in glass and that, that's what was thrown at the bus essentially so not ideal uh, and again conspiracy theories the idea of the police and the authorities encouraging them to drive down the main avenida where they know the river fans are um, are gathering a lot of conspiracy theories but it, it was it was unfortunate let's say favourite stadium is that too tough a question? No, nah, I mean the the title of the book, La Bombonera, um, gives it away a little bit. I think there's there's something about La Bombonera. Um, the the four the four major, I guess, the four more most iconic stadiums in Argentina: Boca, La Bombonera, River, and Monumental. They're world famous. Racing's El Cilindro and Huracan have a lovely Art Deco nearly hybrid-like, at least facade on the outside. They're the four like most architecturally beautiful stadiums in Buenos Aires. La Bombonera, just for the, just for the history, it's slightly more iconic than all of them, right? Uh, the, the kit, the Boca kit, probably a little bit more iconic than all the others. I would, it, this is my opinion. A lot of River fans will disagree, of course, mm-hmm. as, will, as will all the other fans. But La Bombonera, just for the experience of going to a Boca River match, just the experience of seeing it full. Again, no away fans, so it's 100% full of, of Boca fans. And uh, I was lucky to avoid a nil-nil, so I did see goals. I did hear that kind of the roar of the home crowds when, when they equalised in this occasion. On this occasion. So, um, it has to be La Bombonera for me, but you know, Huracan, like I say, Huracan is one of the smaller teams of, of the Primera. It's not a small team in the context of Argentinian football, but it's one of the smaller teams in the context of the top tier. Um, but they have a fantastically beautiful stadium. It's just a shame that it's never really full. Yeah. It's not a big enough club to fill that, that stadium. Okay. Boca was actually one of my first ever kits, bizarrely enough. Um, just one of those my mom went on holidays to Spain and didn't know what jersey to get me so she ended up picking up a book of junior jersey not really knowing what it is and uh, looking back at it now I didn't even know what it was at the time but it's uh, it's one of those weird quirks of how big Boca are on a global sense as well in terms of yeah. in comparison to the other side so just before we finish and wrap up this conversation then in terms of the journey to South America let's say the second time the six-year period. Um, did it change your perspective on how you did things over here, how football's run over here, or anything general in life? It does change you. It does. Um, I mean, I, I grew up, I was born in Norway and grew up in the UK, so I kind of li- have lived my life so far between two countries, moving back and forth a lot anyway. Um, and I kind of, I don't know, sounds a bit daft, but I kind of... Uh, Argentina is a capital, or at least yeah, Argentina, Buenos Aires. I kind of speak of the two as, as one thing, but of course they're not. Argentina is the the world capital for psychotherapy. I've done a, I've done a few rounds of kind of like self psychotherapy, thinking why did I, 
I decided to just go to the end of the world. Um, and the idea of moving between Norway and England, whenever I was in Norway, I was missing. There were things that I would, that I would miss about the UK. Um, football culture being one of them, because we don't have that here in Norway. When I was living in the UK, there were a lot of things I missed about Norway. Um, moving to Argentina just gave me, added a third country and made it a little bit more complicated. But um, I don't know. I I fell in love with the Argentinian people. I would almost go as far to say that I consider myself to be part Argentinian now. So the idea of belonging to a country that you're born in or that you have any roots in is, is a ridiculous concept because I, I felt more, I wouldn't say I felt more at home necessarily because family is important. I feel more at home in Norway because I have a lot of family here. Um, a lot more here than I do in the UK, for example. Um, but the idea of feeling at home because you, you've, you get on with the people and then you find them. Argentinian people are incredibly genuine people. There are a lot of stereotypes about them. They're regarded to be extremely arrogant in a South American context. Um, I call it, I call it more kind of, um, what's the best way of saying it? They're probably more genuine. And, uh, and there's a lot of community in Argentina. That's, I guess that's maybe one thing that I, wish I had more of in the UK and Norway is the community that they have over there. Mm-hmm. The idea of standing up for one another, the activism that they, um, they stand for a lot of the right things, let's say. Um, for example, they've just had a, a big, um, there's been, there are a lot of femicides in Argentina. Uh, previously it was one every 30 hours, uh, domestic violence, which led to the death, 99.9% of the time of the woman, one every 30 hours. So they had a massive um, youth-led round of activism, let's say, to, to kind of change the culture, the macho culture over there. Uh, that's just one example of the, of the kind of activist soul that they have, the community feel. But I, I don't know. I, I would, had, it, had Argentina been... Had Argentina been um, in Europe somewhere, Barcelona or, or Turin, wherever. And it was easy to get back a, a few times a year. I would have lived there permanently. The problem with Argentina is it's so far away from home. The money is, uh, the, the economy is a, a nightmare. So earning a, a decent salary to fly back and forth is is not necessarily that easy. But yeah. that's a very long-winded way of saying um, I just adore the people. Give us the name of the book again so I don't murder it. Tears at La Umbanera. And where can but people get it? I guess online. I mean, um, I pitch publishing are the, the publishers. They sell it. So you can buy it directly from pitchpublishing.co.uk. Um, Stanchion Books is an independent uh, bookseller that, that are selling the book and I, I try to encourage people to avoid Amazon there are lots of other ways of buying books I, I'd go to your local bookshop shop if you can ring them if you can't and ask them to buy in for you and that will make them aware of it as well but uh, last resort if you have to Amazon sell it good stuff Christopher it sounds absolutely brilliant and it was a pleasure chatting to you today as well thanks for joining me today Thanks, Ender. Thanks a lot. Team 33. This 
is OTB Sports Radio. Now, welcome back. So that is all we have time for on this week's Team 33. Thanks to you, as ever, for listening in. If you want to listen back to that podcast, you can get it on the OTB Podcast Network. Just search Team 33. You can register or subscribe to the podcast there and get notified every time there's an episode going live. And as I said, we did talk to Tim Vickery last week about South American football. That's a really, really interesting chat. Got a huge reaction as well. If you want to check that out, that's all in the usual channels as well and on YouTube if you want to watch the best-dressed man in football punditry, Tim Vickery. Absolutely excellent, as always. My thanks to Christopher Highland. And again, if you want to check out his book, Tears of La Bobonera, it is available across all the usual places that you would find your books. And I would highly recommend it because it looks like it's going to be absolutely excellent. It's out next month, but you can pre-order that now as well. Thanks to you for listening as ever. We'll be back same time, same place next week. But until then, take away Johan. (laughs) 